Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning. Good, who's excited for church? Come on. If we have not met, my name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I. Last week was our fifth year anniversary. Come on. Crazy. COVID didn't kill us. Online church didn't kill us. Being portable for five years didn't kill us. But we're alive and we are going into a collection of talks called We are bold and the heart behind this collection of talks is you don't go to bold church you are bold because a, a church is not a building it's a people and some of you need to be reminded of who you are and by coming to this church that's who that's your identity you, you are bold you don't go to bold you are it and uh, so many times I, I'm reminded again and again, especially last week, there are so many new people that have joined our community in the last two years. We were online for 60 weeks and we were at five o'clock and some of you have forgotten we started this church on a couch with eight people. And we wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, but unchurched people, listen to me, could explore their faith. So if you're new to church, if you've never been here for the first time, come on, this is a place where you can belong long before you believe in uh, I got a message. You guys ready to be challenged? And uh, for the next seven weeks, we're talking about this is our theme for the next seven weeks. What you value determines what you do. If you don't like the, the way you're living your life, don't change your behavior. Change your beliefs. Because what you believe changes the way you, that you live. And as a church, why do we do the certain things? That, why do we do this? Why, because, because what we value. For the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, these values. That are, they're like a compass for us. They're going to be our guide. It doesn't matter if five years from now, 20 years from now, these will be our core values. They're not values on a wall. Listen, they're values in our heart. I can't teach what I'm not living myself. Go read any, any of Patrick Lencioni's books and his book, The Advantage. It, it talks about most CEOs fail because they want their company to be something that they're not. So that early, those early days, these, these were the values of who the eight were. This is the values of, of what we want to embody. And, and whether you like it or not, this is who you are now. This is the church that you're a part of. And uh, I'm, I'm going to preach around this subject. Generosity is our goal. Generosity, it's our goal. Uh, if you can bow your heads and pray, I, I got a message that all the religious people, they got nervous. Oh, my God. Don't worry, we're not going to pass the buckets. Getting all weird in church. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. I'll talk about why it's weird. But let me pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in this faith community. God, thank you so much for the 280 people that have said yes to you in, the, you in this church. Crazy. God, thank you for the four or five dozen that have gotten baptized, that, that went public with their faith. God, we are just beginning, God. I, I, I had a prophetic word last week. I didn't say I want to pray it, God. Bamboo seeds, when you plant them, that you don't see them for five years. And on the fifth year, they grow 90 feet. And I just want to prophetically declare we're growing crazy this year. Watch out. Watch out. 
God, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? God, would you change the way that we think so that we can change the way that we live? We walked in one way, God. We want to walk out another. Jesus, help me preach this word because we, we don't want to be the same. We want to look more like you, talk more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. A little bit louder. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus a round of applause? If you're new to this church, we are a loud church. Jesus did something that other religious leaders didn't do. Uh, you can go to Krishna, you can go to Muhammad, you can go to Buddha. None of them said that I'm going to die and, and resurrect. You can go to the Middle East and find the tomb of Muhammad. You can go to uh, different tombs. Jesus doesn't have a tomb. And the reason we follow him is because he died and three days later he came back from the grave. Anybody grateful for Jesus? And the reason I listen to him is because no one else has done that. He's the only one that, that conquered death. But listen, not only that, his teachings are second to none. And it's hard in our culture that we live in. There's a lot of influencers on Instagram telling you how to live your life. And there's all these experts. And they, they have followers. And they have views. Like, oh, my gosh, I have a million subscribers. Like, there's this dude, Mr. Beast, talking about, I'm going to run for president because he has a million subscribers or 100 million on YouTube. It's like, bro, you haven't even run your own house. You're not even married. You, you, you've never managed kids before. Until you do that, you're not running this country. Come on. A lot of influencers want to tell you what to do because they have followers. I listen to Jesus because he came back from the grave. Amen? Yeah. And he's going to say some things that are going to challenge you. He's going to say some things that are countercultural. I believe him because he came back from the grave. Amen? Amen? Let me show you something he says that's going to make your booty go, mm, to make you uncomfortable. Just letting you know. It's, it's the truth. It's right here on the screen. It is more blessed. Someone say blessed. blessed. To give than to receive. You don't live this way, but all the half of you said, oh, yeah, amen. <laughs> our favorite day is Christmas and our birthday. Because we open, we don't love the day we give gifts away. Why would you say amen? Why? Because this is easy to say amen to. It's hard to live. Wow. It sounds good. It doesn't sound smart. It's countercultural. It goes against our flesh. It goes against what everything in our culture, we sell, you're coming over, we invite more friends to our birthday because we get more gifts. My daughter, she counts. I only have seven, dad. Because that's her, she, she, she's losing the reason for the season. It's his birthday, not your, the day you get presents. And this challenges us because this word blessed in the Greek is makario. It's the word happy. And what Jesus is saying is even though you're, you're giving away something that you want, you're having less of it, you're going to be happier. Yeah. If you look at studies in almost every university, they're saying the, the happiest people in America are not the wealthiest, are not the best looking, they're the most generous. Wow. So you have a choice. You could believe the words of the one who conquered the grave or you can wait for a university to spend $10 billion to proving what this says. <laughs> you get to pick. And what's so challenging is this is what's called a paradox. Paradox is it, it, you hear it, but you don't believe it. And G.K. Kesterson says a paradox is this. He says a paradox is a truth standing on its head, waving its legs to get our attention. And that shouldn't be that way, but it is. It's a contradiction. And the Bible, I'm telling you, is full, full of contradictions. This book is simple. But it's profound. It's simple that a second grader can read it and receive Christ. Amen. There are little kids over there that have already received Christ that want to get baptized. I remember one of the first baptisms we had in our church was an eight-year-old because the gospel is simple. Jesus became a man, lived a sinless life, and he died on a cross. You can clap for that. Crazy. 
At the same time, though, it's profound. You have seminary professors spend their whole life studying the Greek words because it's so deep. It's, it's this paradox. This paradox. There's joy in suffering. No, bro, there's tears in suffering. There's anger in suffering. And yet, most pastors will tell you, you just go to the, the cancer ward at most hospitals, and you'll see Christians who have cancer, and they have joy. Why? Because the Bible is a paradox. It doesn't make sense. You want a great sex life? Keep your pants on. What? <laughs> study after study says if you live with your partner, you're more likely to get divorced. Jesus is saying, wait. You want the best sex life? Keep your pants on. What about this strength and weakness? This challenges all the techies who are type A, who, who excelled in school. You're valedictorian, all these honors, AP classes. And Jesus says the only way you can live the Christian life is if you say you're weak. Because God gives grace to the humble. He doesn't give to the, to the awesome. It's this paradox. And Jesus is saying there is there's more when you give away. You're, you're more happy. It challenges us. And it's, it, it, the, 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 the great theologian Solomon, who is the wisest man in Proverbs 11, says this. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You give, and you're going to gain more. You serve, and God's going to serve you. You refresh others, and God will refresh you. That's why unapologetically we ask everyone to go to the growth track and serve. Why? Because we don't need you to serve. Your faith needs you to serve. I don't need it. You need it. And if you read this verse in the MSG version, the salty version, it says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Someone's out larger and larger. The world of the stingy, though, gets smaller and smaller. What a challenge. Uh, what, what, a, what a word that, that, that sometimes we think that I'm giving something away, my bank account is going lower. I'm giving a possession away, I have less toys. And God's saying when you give, you don't lose. Your friendships get bigger. Your world, your faith, your, your view of God gets bigger. It's crazy because there's this TV show that when my wife and I, we lived with my mother-in-law. I'm still in counseling for that. Pray for me. I don't even call him. I call him my MIL. It's the acronym so she doesn't hear me. Stop. I love her. But mother-in-laws, man, they have weird taste in TV shows. Let me just tell you. Talk about it. Like she would love... The 90 day fiance, I'm like, what are we watching here? And then she watched my 600 pound life. I'm like, dude, I need therapy after watching these crazy. And the one show that I, I literally couldn't, I had to walk out of the room. I felt, ang- I, my life's already stressful. Come on. <laughs> Sit in traffic for an hour, work it. I don't need that. It was a show called Hoarders. Oh. Let me show you a picture of what, ho- dude, this is someone, this is not a dump site. This is someone's house. Let me tell you, hoarders, they have more possessions than you, but their world is smaller than you because they live in fear. They don't release. They don't let go. They don't believe the words of Jesus that I'm more blessed to give than to receive. And so when Jesus says your world of the generous gets larger and larger, he's not talking about material things. 
It's about the, the mindset that you live by, the, the, the faith in Jesus. Is God going to exceedingly abundantly do more than you ask or imagine? Can he provide for you? Will he, or are you going to hold in fear or in faith be generous? Let me give you a definition of generosity because it's going to challenge you. Generosity is giving more than what's required. If this is the line and this is what's required, if I do the requirement, I'm not generous. It's when I step over the line. It's X plus one or generosity or doing the minimum plus one. That's a requirement. And why is generosity our goal? Why is this our core value? God is generous. God, listen, we didn't deserve Jesus. We didn't do anything to earn him. God had no requirement to do anything. Yet he was so generous he gave his son Jesus. See, we'll hear sermons about the, the holiness of God, the, the, the love of God. There's only two verses in the Bible that says God is love. We'll hear a thousand sermons about that subject, right? God's generous. And we don't hear sermons about that. In the, in the book of Genesis, God gave and God gave and God gave. He's a giver, not a taker. The Bible says God so loved the world that he what? Why? He gave his son. He's, he's not a taker. He's not a hoarder. He's a giver. And when, when God made the universe, he didn't just make our, our solar system. He's so generous, he made the Milky Way. He's so generous, he made a billion galaxies when only one was needed. Why? Because he's generous. Let me read you some statistics. There are 17,000 species of butterflies. That's generous, yo. We only need one or two. My kids will be happy. We have 17,000. There are, listen to me, 11,000 species of moss. Okay. I don't know why we need that many, but you're generous. Uh, 22,000 different species of fish. Thank you for having sushi that many ways, Jesus. Some of you are afraid. You have 22,000 reasons to be afraid of fish. And this is my favorite, 150 species of roses. Husbands, come on. Let me tell you right now. Some of you don't even know one species of rose. I couldn't find flowers. There's 150 of them. What are you talking about? And on my last one, there's 35,000 different species of spiders. 35,000 too many, amen? amen? Too many. And this idea when you come to God in prayer, is he a hoarder or is he a giver? Do you have to twist his arm to give him what you... God is so, I could not stop bragging about how God, how generous he is. And if I spent an hour bragging about his generosity, it still wouldn't be enough. Let me give you four verses that are going to maybe renew your mind on the generosity of God. It's Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father. When you become a Christian, God the Father becomes your father. He adopts you. And this is the best part of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. I'm going to say blessed us. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, in the Old Testament, when a father was about to pass away, he would call his son in the room and lay hands on his son and give his, the blessing of a father. And so many men in this room, you, you work your butt off at work, you try to achieve, you build a career, all because you want someone to say, I'm, I'm proud of you. And what's crazy about this verse is that when you become a Christian, whether you're a son or a daughter, God puts you on his lap and lays hands on you. And blesses you with the, father, the blessing of a father. Some of you are working your whole life to hear someone say, I'm God's already said it. Why? Because God's a generous dad. Second, Second Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he was dripping before hip-hop evangelists were dripping. Though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This verse makes more sense because I'm a second-generation immigrant. My mom left Iran, left everything, sacrificed her family, her career. Why? So that her kids could be better off. That's what parents do. They are generous towards their kids. Why did Jesus become poor? Because he wants you to be spiritually rich. Why did he suffer on a cross? So that you wouldn't have to. Why? He's generous. He's not a hoarder. You don't have to beg him to bless you. He's longing to do it. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able. The streets are gold. Not because he thinks it's valuable. Because he thinks it's not. That's how wealthy he is. He's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, someone say all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In James chapter 1 verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting silence. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He was generous back then. He's generous today. You can trust me. He's going to be generous tomorrow. Anyway, thankful for the generous God that we have. Come on. And Jesus is no different. One in four of his parables, one in four of his parables was about generosity. Which is funny because I've taught on generosity three times in five years. It's like the op- if I was supposed to be like Jesus, I would teach on it once a month. But I don't. Why is that? Because it's cringe. It's uncomfortable. You get uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable. And I want that to change because I can't disciple you unless I talk about the whole scripture. Amen. And there's two reasons why, personally, I'm just confessing I'm uncomfortable. Number one is abuse. Abuse. We've all seen that TV show, send $70, you get 70 blessings. It's like, what? <laughs> and, and some of you come from a Catholic background. And the, in the early church, the Catholic church used to sell indulgences. It's basically a spiritual get-out-of-jail-free card. If a loved one passed away and they didn't believe in Jesus, you give the church money, and they go out of hell. It's like, come on. There's abuse. And because of the abuse, the, the, the abuse of a few has silenced the voice of many. And I'm one of them. If you, everybody knows when the plane crashes, but we don't remember and don't count the 10,000 that go up every day. Remember the one a year that crashes and thinks airplanes aren't safe. When it's actually safer to sit in an airplane than your own car going home from church today. But we remember the failures and the abuse, not the success. Second reason, apprehension. Well, before we started our church, we went to the Santa Clara Art and Wine Festival, and we, we gave away gifts because we wanted to be like God, generous. We wanted to be known in the community by what we gave and not by what we took. And we had this big white wall that says, I would go to church if, and it was dot, 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 and the wall was blank. And we handed people's pens to said, write it. The number one complaint, you always want my money. You know, and because of the apprehension that I learned on that day, that people want God, they just don't want me to talk about money. I didn't teach on money. I taught on it once in the first three years of our church. And then our COVID happened at year two. And something strange happened. All the people that did not serve and did not give their faith is gone. So I failed those people as a pastor by not challenging you to give. I love the story in the book of Exodus. God is commanded by Moses in Exodus chapter 24. He says, command the people to bring an offering to me. And then Moses goes up the mountain. He comes down the mountain. By the time he asks for the money, it's Genesis chapter 35. Ten chapters have passed. And he's saying, guys, bring the offering. Why is he asking a second time? Because they never gave it the first time. 
because they, they built a golden calf. And as a pastor, I need to tell you, you're either going to give your money to God or you're going to give it to your false gods. And the best thing I can do is help you follow Jesus by asking you. You should be saying thank you to me. If I can quote the great theologian Maui in the movie Moana, what can I say except you're welcome? Come on. I'm helping you not build a gold. You don't need to go from a 65-inch TV to an 80-inch TV. And when I ask you to be generous, what I'm asking you to do is bring your money to God versus give it to your false God. And I'm being honest, you follow Jesus better when you listen to him versus what you want. So you're welcome. You're welcome. But I want to walk through a teaching of Jesus, this one that conquered the grave, whose words are so wise. I want to listen to him above every other influencer in the world. Amen? Luke chapter 11, he says these words. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where they will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they will put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Obviously, in, in first century, they didn't have electricity, okay? They didn't have a cell phone. We can push the, the flashlight button and walk around. The flashlight business in America went to zero when the iPhone came out. But this is first century. In the first century, you had a bowl on your living room table, and it was filled with oil, and there was a wick in it. And when you lit it, it would light your room up. Oil in the first century was so expensive, you never wasted the light, so Jesus is teaching this physical reality. He's trying to teach you a spiritual truth. He's saying, dude, you don't light a lamp and then put, it's wasteful and it's not functional either. But he's teaching you something spiritual using a physical reality. Watch what he says in the next verse. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Let me say that again. Because that's what he's trying to teach you. Your eye. Someone say, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eyes are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, your whole body is full of light. No part of it is dark. It will be just as full of light as when light shines its light on you. What is, is he just talking about code? I, 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 I was following along and then he's talking about this dark and light. What is he saying? In the ESV, it's good and bad. In the NIV, it's healthy and unhealthy. And if you look at the Greek, it's better translated greedy and stingy. And what Jesus is actually asking you is this question. It's on the screen. Write this down. Are your eyes generous or are your eyes stingy? Because the way that you view the world is from a mindset. We talked about this two months ago. Went through a collection of talks called uh, Think Like a Monk. Sorry, it's really hot up here. And the idea was, if you want to change the way that you live, you got to change the way that you think. And we talked about this, this, this two different mindsets that clash. Abundance versus scarcity. Poverty versus, versus abundant mindset. And when you have an, a, a scarcity mindset... You look like that hoarder on TLC that my mother-in-law watches. You just collect everything because you're afraid of letting go. But when you live in an abundance mindset, as I give, I'm not losing. I'm gaining. Yeah, and it's really, it starts with your eyes, Jesus says. When I was in second grade, I would run home every day after school because my favorite TV show would come on at 3.30. DuckTales, woo if you don't know that show, you missed out on one of the best shows in history. Three little ducks. They were awesome. They each had it on their own color. But then they had this uncle, Scrooge McDuck. Anybody remember Scrooge McDuck? This guy had a tower, remember, of gold, and he'd swim in it and count all the money. And whenever he saw an opportunity, his eyes would turn into dollar signs. What Jesus is saying is, you're Scrooge McDuck. 
that the way you look at life is through money. Do you have a stingy eye or do you have a generous eye? Is your life better by hoarding or is it going to get better and happier by giving? Is it going to be measured in the quality of the number of toys you have or the toys that you give away? It's a paradox. It's a challenge. And your flesh doesn't want it, but it's a spiritual reality. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I need to tell you a secret about the Bible. When, when the apostle and, and the eyewitnesses wrote the scriptures, they didn't put chapters and they didn't put verses. The verses, the chapters weren't added till 1,200 years after. Because instead of saying, you know, like on the third page of your Bible, there's a, that, that, you say, oh, chapter three. And then 1,500 years after the scriptures were written and recorded, they added verses. So now we can say John 3.16, Luke 11, verse blah, blah, blah. Before it'd be like, remember the 24th verse in that, in that chapter? It was awkward. And the reason why I say that in Luke chapter 11, there's this subheader. The subheaders weren't ri- originally there. The story that happens after this teaching is a continuation of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching on your eyesight. Is it stingy or is it generous? Are you ready for the application to the same teaching? Watch this word. This is going to challenge some of you. Let me, let me just say this. Generous people don't need... Uh, we'll just skip it. Luke 11, verse 38. This is the same story. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he just finished his teaching on, are you Scrooge McDuck or, or not? So he went in and reclined at the table. So Jesus at this dude's house, he's eating, but the Pharisee was surprised. Someone say surprised. surprised. Some translations say shocked. It's better translated indignant. It's this large show of emotion. He's like, What? Oh my goodness, why isn't Jesus washing his hands? You need to understand what's going on in first century Jewish culture. In that culture, Jesus gave the law, 600 rules. The law is divided into two categories, civil law and ceremonial law. Civil law is don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. Then there's ceremonial. Don't wear this kind of clothes. You can only eat this. Don't, don't, don't drink Pepsi, only Coke, stuff like that. If you want to be righteous, you got to do these ceremonial things. The ceremonial law was was cumbersome, and it was only supposed to be on the priest and the Levites. And the Pharisees, listen, what they did is they put the requirement that was on them, and they put on everybody. That's why when Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 11, says, all you who are weary, and as 21st century techies were like, oh my gosh, my kids make me weary. Oh my gosh, my mental health is weary. Oh my gosh, the, the polarization of our country. He's not talking to you, bro. You DoorDash stuff to your house. You Instagram, you Instacart. Your life is not that stressful. I know Wi-Fi went down. You couldn't breathe for five minutes. Jesus is not actually talking to you. He's talking to people who want a relationship with Jesus, but they're overwhelmed with the rules. He says, you're overwhelmed with the hundred rules they got to do. Are you tired of those rules? Come to me. Because my burden is easy. My yoke is light. That's the context. And this Pharisee is expecting Jesus to wash his hands and watch what Jesus says. Again, the context is, are you have generous eyes or stingy eyes? I'm about to say something that's going to make some of you upset, but you need to hear it. Luke 11. Then the Lord, that being Jesus, said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, exclamation point. I never want to be 
on the end of an exclamation point with Jesus. <laughs> Other than you're awesome, but he's not going to say that to me, right? <laughs> or good and faithful servant. Let's go. Come on. Not foolish people. And you got to understand, religious people are worried about the outside. They want to look good at church. They want to say these lofty, their, their voice changes. You know, they start praying and the, the king, ver, the out love us, Jesus. It's like, who are you? Do you even order McDonald's this way? Come on. You have a smile on your face and you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of evil. My future brother-in-law is a, a wannabe bodybuilder. He loves, every time he comes over for family nights, we're talking about bodybuilding. Ronnie Coleman, we have these stories we're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I, I'm like this skinny, like Ethiopian, like, oh, let's talk about these things. Come on. <laughs> the dude lifts weights all the time. And he talks about that there's this Instagram account where this dude will walk into the gym and come up to influencers and go, natural or natty? And the influencers will be like, steroids, bro. Come on, what do you think? And all these influencers that we follow and watch, they're all fake. They're all on TRT. They're all taking stuff, either in the arm or in the butt. They're taking something. And we can judge the men. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Listen, moms are just as savage. Learn this the hard way when we had kids. Moms come up to other moms and they go, natural or natty? And they're not talking about muscles. They're talking about the breast milk. You know what I'm talking about? Is that real milk or is that formula? And the same way that men judge other men if they take steroids, women judge other women if they don't have real milk. Just calling it out. It's uncomfortable for a while. But if you take real milk and you put it on the counter of a baby bottle and you take formula, 10 hours later or the next day, they look totally different formula, good or bad, whether you did it or not, we, we did it. Formula with our second daughter, Zoe, the next day, the, the, the milk, the top would be cream and the bottom would be water. Milk, though, didn't change. And you didn't know. It was a tricksy little hobby. You didn't know, can I drink this or is this going to kill me when I open it? Is this a weapon of mass destruction or can I give this to my daughter? That's what Jesus is saying. You're the real milk and no one knows whether you're good or bad, but I see the inside of the bottle and you're evil, and you're wicked. And the solution to killing greed is not to pray it away. It's to give it away. It's the only way. Jesus says, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. And he continues, woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint and rue. Let me just pause for a moment. This is an agrarian culture. It sounds weird that they bring in their spice rack, you know, <laughs> to church. But if Jesus was talking today, he'd be like, bring your crypto, your stock, your NTFs. It's just different currency. This is how they, this was their money back then. So it sounds weird, but it, it's totally normal. You bring your, they're bringing their spice rack to church. You tithe from your mint and your rue and all kinds of garden herbs. But, someone say but. You neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without the former being undone. Jesus is not removing the tithe. He's increasing it. Because listen, the tithe is the requirement. Jesus is saying you need to do more. Only generosity heals your heart. You say, Pastor Al, if I tithe, I'm not generous? You're not. Because the, gener- the tithe is the standard. If you want your heart to remove the evil and greed, you got to go past the standard. Generosity is doing more than it was required. I don't know if I believe that. Let me tell you, all the people that killed Jesus, 
They were all tithers. None of them were generous, though. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you. Which, which milk are you? You can come to church all dressed up, so worried about the outside. Jesus says, I care about more who you are than what you do. I care about the inside more than the outside. And the only way to kill greed is not to pray it away, but to give it away. Look what Jesus says in this next verse. You should have practiced the latter, which is love for people, which is the whole point of it. God doesn't need your money. God has streets of gold. Money is not the goal. Your heart being pure is the goal. That's the goal. For you to love people. Jesus didn't die on a cross for money. He died on a cross for people. People are what matter to Jesus. But you should have practiced the latter without the former being undone. He's reaffirming the tithe. And it's crazy because we hear this and it challenges us. And we're like, no, I don't know if I believe this. And it's challenging to hear these words. It's, it's hard to hear this word. And I wrote down like this, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Check any relationship, especially when they're first dating. You're like, oh, my God, I'm so in love. <laughs> Never bought flowers in your life, and you're like this florist. You're going to start a business because you're buying flowers so often. Why? No one needs to tell you to, to be generous. When you're in love, you want to do it. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't give because you think I need your money. Give because you're in love with me and you trust me. That's the heart. That's the purpose. And what I want to do, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what does generosity look like practically. Four things I want you to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you don't take notes in church, you want to write this down. Number one, first fruits. Someone say first fruits. God talks about first fruits. This is principle that in, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, God spoke the world into existence. He created the the earth, the, the moon, the stars, the water, the land, the animals, everything. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave. And there's this idea that in Genesis chapter 1, God's a giver. Everything that he made, he gives to Adam. And the very first thing Adam and Eve do is they take the fruit. And God's showing you this, this, this paradox that he's a giver and we're the hoarder. That he's generous and we're not. That he gives and we take. The first sin in the Bible is they took the fruit. The second is homicide. Because sin, if you don't deal with it, if you just try to ignore like, oh, I'll deal with that sin later. It's like the milk in a bottle. When you open it, it gets worse. And in Genesis chapter 4, the fourth page of your Bible, there's two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain is a farmer. Abel's a rancher. And the Bible talks about this word first fruits right there for the very first time. It says Cain, he had animals. He had 10 goats. My daughter is three years old. Every day, Dad, can we have lamb tonight? I'm like, what? You know how expensive that is? No. <laughs> Dad, I want lamb. Abel was a, was a rancher. He had 10 lambs. And what we naturally do is I'm going to eat these nine and give my leftover to God. Abel looked at all 10 said, oh, that one's the best one. And he brought that one to God. Because there's a principle about generosity. It's a heart thing. It's not a money thing. So I'll say, God, I want to give you my best. Yeah. Cain, though, doesn't do that. Cain's a farmer. He's got 10 watermelons because watermelon's the best fruit. He eats nine. And the smallest one that he didn't want, he brings that one. And the Bible says that towards Abel's, he accepted it. 
but towards Cain's he didn't. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so offended at you, Jesus. You don't, you don't accept the offering? Like, who are you? Imagine in six weeks from now, I invited you to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. Have you ever been to Thanksgiving dinner? The best part is when they bring the turkey out, and then you bring the knife, and you cut it for the very first time. Imagine if I brought it out, and half of it's gone. You're like, am I even special? Why'd you invite me, Pastor Hadley? We would question that. We would be like, well, that's weird. That's what God's saying. You, you gave the best to someone else? That's, that's, after all I've done for you, that's, that's weird. You want to develop a heart of generosity when you get paid. Before you pay Visa, before you pay T-Mobile or AT&T or Hulu and all these, be generous to God. Give Him the first. This is what generosity does. It's, it, it portrays gratitude and trust on your screen. It's what First Fruits is all about. I'm grateful, God, that I have a job, that I breathe, that I have life. I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for you. And it's trust. You don't trust Jesus until he has your heart. One of the crazy things I study church history is the, the Knights of Kemplar. It's these dudes during the crusade that when they got baptized, they would take their sword, and then when they were underwater, they would leave it outside the water. Because they're saying, you have everything. You have my dreams, my family, you have my kids. Please, Jesus, take them right now. But then they would leave their sword outside the water. You can have all of it except for that. And Silicon Valley, that's how we get baptized. We take our wallet and say, you have everything, God, except for that. Wow. Do you trust Jesus? I'm not talking about your words. Does your wallet show it? It's challenging, I know. But it's going to help you be a follower of Jesus. Number two, percentage-based giving. Genesis chapter 4, we see the very first time, first fruits. Ten chapters later, Abraham goes to war to rescue his his cousin Lot, his nephew Lot, excuse me. Goes to war and he wins. How does an, an old man go to war and win? He has the favor of God on his life. Favor of God. Some of you don't even realize God's going to promote you, not because of what you've done, because who your dad is. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. Yeah. And he blesses you to be a blessing. And Abraham realizes, I'm not good enough to win this war. I'm 100 years old. How did I win? And this dude called Melchizedek shows up. You ever read those books, Where's Waldo? This is a Where's Waldo in the scriptures. It's Jesus before Jesus comes, shows up. And this Melchizedek, this Where's Waldo Jesus, comes with bread and wine. It comes with communion. And Abraham recognizes who this guy is. He says, you're the living God. There's no way I could have a child. There's no way I could have the victories in my life if it wasn't for you. And the very first time in the scriptures, Abraham, the Bible says, gives a tenth. Someone say tenth. tenth. It's this principle of tithe. He gives a tenth to this dude named Melchizedek. He says, man, everything I have is because of you. Everything I, 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 I couldn't live, I couldn't survive. And people ask, Pastor Ali, isn't the tithe Old Testament? Isn't that the law? Didn't Jesus abolish, fulfill the law? Yes. 1,500 years before Moses created the law, Abraham is tithing. So it, yeah, it is in the law, but it's also pre-law. And then Jesus said, don't neglect the former. So Jesus reaffirmed the tithe. The question comes, well, if I tithe, Pastor, am I generous? No. Tithe's a requirement. And it's scary to hear that. But if you want to kill the greed, if you want to, you want to have a heart that's different, I'm going to say something that's going to challenge some of you. The best 
marriages in this church after pastoring church for five years come from the couples that are the most generous because you're killing greed and you're killing selfishness in you. It's impossible to listen to Jesus and not live the changed life. It's impossible to follow him and be generous and serve your spouse and not have it manufacture something different in your marriage. So when people come to me, they pass around, my marriage is struggling. My advice is always, are you giving to God? Because selfishness doesn't go away with prayer. It goes away with action. You gotta give until greed goes away. And Abraham, he gives a tenth, said, man, I, I, I can't do this without you. Number three, take a note, a blessing opportunity. A blessing opportunity. This is where you're giving what you can, but then you're, you're looking for ways to bless a friend. Some of you need to start packing jackets in your car so when you drive by homeless people, you can give them to them during the wintertime. Some of you need to pack lunches in your car so that when you see homeless people, instead of giving them money, I'm not saying don't give them money, I'm saying are you, are you looking for opportunities to be a blessing? One of the things that I want to encourage you to do is there are people in our church that foster care. They take care of kids that parents don't want. What about compassion? Have you ever thought about sponsoring a child? All you gotta do is not eat out once a week and a kid in another country can hear the gospel and his life be forever changed because you're looking to be a blessing. Because it's a paradox. It's better to give than to receive. Imagine the opportunity of opening up a letter from a seven-year-old in another country hearing that he accepted Jesus because you gave him 20 bucks. Are you looking for opportunities to be a blessing? And the last one is the most challenging. Radical gifts. The Bible talks about two types of givings. Tithes and offerings. Tithes is a requirement. Offerings anything above and beyond the tithe. And every year we do what's called the Vision Builders Offering. Every year we want to give you an opportunity to be radically generous. Because we don't need your money. Your heart needs you to give it away. And you're never giving to us. You're giving to Jesus through the local church. It's a heavy message. Not a lot of amens. No one's going to shake my hand. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that. It's okay, though. It's going to help your marriage. And when your kids see how generous you are, they're going to be different because of you. Some of us, we've got to be honest, we're selfish. It's about me, myself, and I. And to hear the words of Jesus, I'm more blessed when I give than I receive. It's hard. We can't pray this away. You gotta give it away. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for this difficult but much needed message. God, I pray for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice. There are some people in this room, God, that have never given to you, God. Encourage them. Today's gonna be the day that they tip to you, Jesus. It's okay to take a baby step towards God. Small step towards Him. Those of you that you, you've, you've begun to tip, God's so excited about your steps of faith that you're taking towards Him. But you're going you're gonna to start consistently giving. That's the challenge for you. I gave three weeks ago, you're going to give every week now. 
Some of you, it's, it's to move to percentage-based giving. You say, I'm going to pick a number, 1%, 2%, 3%. I'm going to give, even when it hurts. You're going to watch what it does to your heart, how it changes you, how it transforms you. Some of you are going to work your way to the tithe. God, I've never done this. You can trust him. He's a generous God. He died for you. He's not trying to bankrupt you. He wants you to trust him. And then those that are, it's time to move past the requirement and move into generosity, to give above and beyond. Because generosity is giving more than what's required. I pray, Lord, for our, our faith, our church, that like you, Jesus, we would be a generous church. That like you, Jesus, we would be a generous people. Because of you, God, we have so much. And God, I'm so grateful for a God who never asks us to be something that you're not. You're generous, Jesus. You, you went above the requirement and you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us when we didn't deserve it. And there are some of you in this room, what's holding you back from generosity is receiving the generous love of God for the very first time. God loves you. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to give to earn his love. He sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, lived for 30 years with his family. And for three years, he did ministry. And he didn't come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us a religion. He came to die on a cross for our sins. And if you want to place your faith in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. Christianity is not about doing, but believing. It's not about religious activity, but about being in a relationship with a living God. Some of you have never prayed that prayer before. Some of you have never said, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, and you've never prayed to start a relationship with Jesus, the living God, I want to give you the opportunity this morning right now. There's no requirement. You don't need to give to do this. This is just between you and Jesus. If that's you, on the count of three, would you just be willing to raise your hand, every eye closed, every head bowed. One, two, three. That's you this morning. Amen, amen. Pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a sinless life. Thank you, God, that you're so generous. You didn't have to do this. You wanted to do this. It was the joy set before you, God, that you endured the cross. You went through all of that for me. You died and suffered for me. You became poor so that I could become rich. You were abandoned so that I could be adopted. I'm so grateful for you, Jesus. He loves you with an everlasting love. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.